Let's go ahead and do this. I'll start the intro. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. It's the 12 days of Star Wars, and it's the eighth day, which means eight dead bounty hunters. Wait, not a BB-8 reference? Wrong movie. (laughs) Fair enough. Now, uh, folks, we, uh, we are covering Return of the Jedi, or Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, or Re- Revenge of the Jedi, if you're one of those people who got uh, some posters or some t-shirts in March of 1983. Ooh. So, were there re-releases to this film, I assume? Yes. Was Yeah, I mean, there was the 97 re-release. And then the DVD featured some more changes and i believe the blu-ray has been basically untouched since the dvd update so i did want to ask a question though because uh wikipedia helpfully reminded me that i think there's a movie not on our schedule and we've missed a star wars film what would that be? oh i think i know e- what he's talking e- about ewoks the battle for endor Oh, no, there's two Ewok movies. There's The Caravan of Courage and The Battle of the That Ewok. is correct. Uh, so uh, that one, I've, uh, those two I thought I'd say for a bonus episode it, down the line. Because <laughs> uh, once we hit the uh, notorious 12th day of Star Wars, I think some, some of our listeners may have a meltdown if they hear us talking about uh, Wilford Brimley and uh, oh, <laughs> a bunch. God of rest movies. your oatmeal soul, Wilford Brimley. It's just astonishing to me that somehow the existence of Ewoks Battle for Endor in 85 wiped out of my mind. Uh, Wikipedia brought it back because I use it as a ready reference when we're when we're recording just so I can remember the precise box office and things like that if we talk about them. But uh, it, it has a little disambiguation page because apparently people Google the Battle for Endor enough or the Battle of Endor enough. Uh, that they had to disambiguate Battle of Endor versus Battle for Endor. Fun fact. Yes, that is actually important to know because after this movie, we got no Star Wars for quite a while except a couple of Ewok TV movies. Remember, those were TV movies, not live action. They were definitely live action films. Uh, I remember watching those films as a young, young child. Um. They weren't good then. They're probably not good now. No, I mean I own them on DVD, and I I, I know uh, you do, I'll Tom, like... because that's the kind of person you are, and <laughs> I love you, man. But I couldn't bring myself to do that, and I own Battlefield Earth on DVD, so I can't say shit. See, Ooh. you do see. You have one I don't have, so the, <laughs> we 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 trade off our our terrible. Uh, there are very good reasons show. that this is Tom's podcast uh, and his encyclopedic <laughs> uh, library and memory for all things uh, film and um, I guess nerdy uh, is is the primary uh, driver there. Yes, this is the good and bad and nerdy movie podcast. But anyway, so we're talking about Return of the Jedi, uh, the what was supposed to be the final Star Wars film. But of course, as we know, that <laughs> that ship sailed eventually. Uh, so I I rewatched it again today, and I realized some. This is the C three PO movie. Arguably, he's helpful in this film in a way that he's never been helpful in prior films. Uh, so that's that. He gets. Yep. This is literally. He gets like, more to yeah, do. They were like, we got to justify. It. He gets more to do in this film, and 
honestly, um, his appearance in Empire, which I don't think we even mentioned that he was in the movie. I mean, he was, but he wasn't a very big point. Was more of there's a character trope known as the load. That would be uh, C-3PO in Empire Strikes Back. He had he brought some comedy to the effects, but for the most part, not super helpful. I mean, he demonstrated you could take the C-3PO toy apart and still play with it. So that was, <laughs> that was a big point. Of that. It's true. It's true. This one, yeah. Yeah, this one, however, he actually had to be... You do, he actually had to translate quite a lot, which... I give them credit for, even though they put subtitles for uh, Job of the Hut. We did not get subtitles for every single Ewok, fortunately. I, I, well, that, that is something that I might want to have talk made about. It, that might have made it better and more interesting if you found out, like, that is the, that there is not just the slightly fat Ewok, but that's the Ewok with a potty mouth. That could have been interesting. <laughs> Tarantino's Ewok dialogue is what I'm looking <laughs> for here. I, I will say that it is a striking difference between how the translations are treated in the first part of this film and how they're treated in the last half of this film. So that's something I want to talk about when we talk about it. But uh, shall we just don't dive right in? Yeah. Great, because let's talk about the opening sequence, which is fucking amazing. And it's probably one of my favorite things in Star Wars like ever. Oh, you mean when Vader shows up on the de- on the ah, new death? Screw star. that! I'm talking about everything on Tatooine. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like good. the entire Tatooine sequence. Um, well, is... well, how old were you, and how deeply did the Leia bikini get into your pubescent brain? Enough, enough. There we go. How okay. about that? That's not the part I'm talking about. I mean, that part's great. Let's let's just acknowledge that uh, Carrie Fisher was a lovely young woman back then. And yes, anyway, moving right along. Um, everything about the Jabba the Hutt palace sequence speaks to me as almost the quintessential Star Wars adventure when you're not in a spaceship. You're I going... agree it is archetypical. Yeah. I agree it is archetypical, but I also say to you, uh, similar to something I started to say, is like, they're just re they're riffing when they're doing it right. They're riffing like jazz and it's a new exploration of their themes other times, it doesn't really add anything. And I, I actually go the other way with this. I don't know that this part added anything to the movie. You could strip it out. I mean, you could just hand wave rescuing Han, and it doesn't, it doesn't get you anything. I mean, it shows off lightsaber uh, of a brand new color, which, of course, was a moment for, again, probably toy manufacturers uh, worldwide. But, but oh. I mean, why do you think this is better than the other, like the 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 uh, um, another comparable sequence is the penitentiary block sequence in A New Hope? Like, I think that's a far superior sequence, better banter, better physical layout, like you have an understanding where the threats are coming from, whereas I felt everything on the sky barge was kind of, it's just a big room. I don't know. There's no there's no layout there uh, or dynamic to the shots. You don't know where the threat's coming from, whereas the whole I'm in a tunnel that's down the detention block into the garbage compactor. Uh, that sequence, I think, is the same kind of sequence, the same archetypical Star Wars adventure sequence, and a better one in every way. I disagree, and I'll tell you why. Not That's... enough aliens, not enough culture. 
Yeah, this is like the most lived-in set they have in any of the Star Wars films uh, of the original. I'm uh, not going to bag on the sequence I, I, of the jailbreak sequence in Star Wars A New Hope. It is fantastic for all the reasons Bruce said. I think Return of the Jedi uh, is more archetypical of a Star Wars adventure as opposed to an adventure. Because you could take the characters in... You could take all the characters from the jailbreak sequence... Put new names on them, put them in cowboy outfits, and have just as good a sequence. Yeah, yeah, or, or samurai, samurai. or, or, or uh, you know, uh, underwater mermaid people, or ponies. Exactly. It doesn't matter. James it's a Bond. great sequence that doesn't rely on knowing that you're in a Star Wars film. It's a great so sequence. It's absolutely What fabulous. I'm hearing here is you want the Gungan-only remake. <laughs> no. Uh, what I like, though, is how deep into Star Wars the, Jabba the Pal- Jabba's Palace sequence is. You can't take Jabba's Palace and plop it down. Because people have tried. People have absolutely tried to take that sequence and plop it into a different story with different characters in a different genre. And it don't work. You are aware of Casablanca? I am aware of Casablanca. And Casablanca is superior in every way to the Jabba sequence. I'm just For saying one thing, like the, the idea that you have like a, a, a CD place. Um, it's not the CDness because Mos Eisley's Cantina already took care of that. It's, it, that has nothing to do with it. It's the good guys are walking into a place where they are trying to throw their weight around in different ways. You've got the stealthy approach where someone dresses up as a bounty hunter and brings in a fucking thermal detonator. You've got Luke coming in being like, I will do this thing. And and I brought you these droids and look how great this is. And you have Jabba just is a magnificent puppet. Let's face it. He's one of the best puppets in the whole series. Yes. Um, All the original puppets in the original sequence are fantastic. I will say the sequence, the uh, special edition editions, Honestly, I think the whole sequence, the Ranker Pit, the Ranker Pit, man, what a fantastic! It gets that, to show that, that Luke can be clever without his fancy toys, without his ability to to yeah, mind yeah, wipe people. Okay. It shows but, that Luke can be clever. You've I, and then I, the barge sequences, the barge sequence. You've got um, they kill off the most overrated character in the series, which is great. You've got um, <laughs> you've got you've got uh. Uh, Leia choking a giant puppet to death, which is just fantastic. C-3PO gets his eye pulled out by a different puppet, which is also great. You've got um, the sh- you get to see R2D2 shock arm. You get to see R2D2 serving drinks. You get to see R2D2 throw a lightsaber. R2D2 is great in this. It is so Star Warsy. There's, I mean, from from a from a, I will grant you that as a movie sequence, it's been done, it's been done before. We get it, but as a Star Wars adventure sequence. I think it's unparalleled. So, oh, I agree. I understand. I mean, how many creeps? Now, I was, you know, four when this came out. No, yeah, four when this came out. And admittedly, the Rancor scared me so much that it'd take me out of the theater the, first, the second time I saw it. Uh, I was in a drive in the first time I saw my mom, so I couldn't actually leave the car <laughs> then. But I will say this the Rancor is one of the best, like, monster creatures they've ever done. And I give credit. It's, you know, it's good old fashioned stop motion, but it's so well done stop motion. Yeah, apparently Lucas wanted originally them to try to build a giant costume to try it that way, and they were like, um, "It's a little harder to do." Right. Than you think. I'm just gonna give this one more good old solid cynical. 
what exactly was the plan? They had a year, right? And there, and Lando like took time, got a job, made cover, got it, got in there, good and proper. Leia did her best to similarly get in. Okay, sure. Um, to the point of getting either a weird languagey thing or learning another language. I don't know. Then she never speaks that language again. But it's cool. It's cool. She at least understood it. Um, and she, you know, gets a thermal detonator, which is great. Um, which again could have had it on the way out. Like, let's just talk about. Okay, so again, what was the plan? All right, Lando, you're going to get in there and get us some intel. Great, but clearly he did. They know exactly where Han is hung. It's on the wall. It really wasn't that big a mystery, but cool. Could have been in a vault. Would have been important to get somebody in early to know where to go. She's going to go in and defrost him. Knows how to do this. Hopefully, he'll be alive. Got it. Got it. Chewbacca just gets arrested randomly for shoplifting. Okay, fine. He can get out anytime he wants to. That's cool. Like, you know, we have to have a reason for her to get in, but she couldn't just get a guard job like he did? I guess not. They're now screening the guards really well. Okay, wait. There's more. All right, Luke's just going to show up and pretend like he doesn't know his buddies are there and ask for him to be out so that, you know, Luke would rather not kill the great big slug thing. Okay, it all just goes to hell. And and if did Lando know that they were planning to get executed by the Sarlacc? What if he just shot them? What if he just shot them? They were relying entirely on Jabba's villainous execution motif to potentially recover from this abject disaster, which could have just been, oh, ha. Oh, oh. Hey, I've still got the thermal detonator, asshole. Unless you'd like to be a space blast of goo against the wall, you'll let me walk out of here with my grenade just like you did before. Like, why didn't that happen? Why didn't Lando just shoot Jabba then? I mean, tell me why and what the plan was here. There's, I mean, here's the thing. I think Luke had a plan. Leia uh, didn't pay, want to li- follow the plan, which was just let's smuggle the droids in with my weapon. I'll get it, uh, and I'll fight my way off. The only mistake was they didn't realize they they would put uh, R2 on another ship. So that was the only mistake that Luke's plan had was that the uh, R2 would not be nearby Jabba for him to grab the uh, lightsaber. That's literally the plan was we need to get the lightsaber in because there's no way I'll be able to sneak it in. He didn't even need to sneak it. He just yeah. came in. So. I think the plan is going to cut job the and the other the other option could have been we get a squad of rebel soldiers here. This place is not that bad in terms of a military target, and just take him out. Now there's something we should point out. This script was written as they were building the sets. They didn't build write the script first. They decided to uh, work on it kind of rushed so they could make sure Harrison. I I will grant you that from a logic standpoint, the plan was kind of garbage, but (laughs) it's an adventure serial. And again, I will point out, you're right, Bruce. This isn't the greatest movie sequence of all time, but it may be the greatest Star Wars movie sequence of all time. I, 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 it's maybe, sort of like how um, things are a good comic book movie, and then there are things that are a good movie. Actually, Star Wars exactly. often doesn't offend me by not making 
you know, military sense or anything like that. I mean, there's a certain degree to which the Star Wars depiction of asymmetric warfare is good enough that I have an excellent game uh, based on that. Uh, the sort of hide and seek of find the base, because what was winning the war was the propaganda, not the actual rebel military uh, efforts. So uh, there, there's, you know, Star Wars is not the worst defender on this. It's just that and, and, and a lot of the other sequences are improv from the get go. Well, we didn't even know there was a giant moon tractor beam thing out here, so we are winging getting the hell out of here. Um, and we didn't even know the princess was on board until the droid told us. So it holds up to under scrutiny, despite all of the, you know, shenanigans, we'll just call it that, Star Wars shenanigans in A New Hope. Um, in... Uh, in Empire Strikes Back, um, it actually... Oh, did we just... Uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, we're good. I'd... Sorry about that. But, no, I agree with what you're saying. I would say, let's... But I think if we're going to make this a good episode, we got to do some... We agreed to disagree slightly, and it's not that big a disagreement. It's not that big a disagreement. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, but I think when we get to the Ewoks, it is funny because as the story goes, it was supposed to be Wookiees. Now, I will say this. I think what changed it to being Ewoks was Time Bandits because most of the actors in Time Bandits wound up playing Ewoks. So I think Lucas saw that and like, you know what? Wookiees are too tall. We already did it in the holiday special. Let's go small like Time Bandits because the timing of them writing the script was in, they shot the they they started shooting the film in 82 early 82 time bandits came out in the summer of 81 I, you can i see what inspired him yeah. to make a change and i think that between I this and willow i'm just gonna happened. say to you that if we had george lucas's browser history i think that little <laughs> and Pornhub are together i'm just saying yeah i i i think we're entirely on something um, I do think it's funny. Uh, this was Warwick Davis's debut. He got the part because Kenny Baker got food poisoning on the first day of shooting. So he went from random extra in a Ewok outfit to you know the most popular Ewok. It's true, and uh, got those residuals in the Han Solo movie. Let me tell you, um, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Warwick <laughs> Davis. Uh, you know, I, I think he's great. Uh, I loved him in Leprechaun especially Leprechaun and four in space, which is my favorite. Uh, but, oh no, Leprechaun in the hood. I don't think I've Leprechaun seen Leprechaun. No, I have seen Leprechaun in the hood. I think in space is better. You did. Yeah, I, I think, I I think in space it. is better. I anyway, about the Ewoks. So funny thing about the Ewoks, I think they, they do detract from the movie. And this is why I don't think the second half of Jedi is nearly as good as the first half. Because the first half, yeah, it's got problems. But it's very Star Warsy. It's very exciting. There's lots of action. There's lots of – there's even romance. I mean there's there's all kinds of crazy aliens. It's just uh, glorious chaos, and it's wonderful. And then you get to Ewok planet, and things slow down. <laughs> they slow down so we can introduce the Ewok. They slow down so we can have the sequence with C-3PO. Yeah. They slow down because Luke is whiny. They, I mean, things slow down. The first half is so fast, and it yeah. goes by in a blink. And then the second half is like, okay, so they're on the thing. And now they're the flying speeder, the thing. The speeder yeah. bike chase is about like 10 minutes too long. It, it's, it's a little you know, long. It's the pod race before the pod race. And it's not a bad sequence. It's yeah. just it's too it, long. Yep. No. 
Well, I mean, it was exciting in 1983, but unfortunately, it just yeah, it it's kind of loses luster after so long. Uh, I would, I think it's also fair to say, you know, the director Richard Marquand wasn't really known for any of this kind of stuff. He he was the fourth option after Steven Spielberg was not allowed to by a guild issue. David Cronenberg uh, decided to make The Dead Zone, and David Lynch wanted to make Dune. Which, by the way, imagine if no, David Lynch any of those, to do uh, this any of those, Dune. Um, yeah, very different movie. <laughs> David um, Lynch's Return so, of the Jedi. <laughs> what I will say here is this is Palpatine's smartest hour. The, this this off. plan is first thing that Palpatine has done that made a goddamn bit of sense in six movies, if you're counting them from his, you know, personal chronology. Yes. Like, what was the plan of the Phantom Menace? Uh, we, we don't even know. Did he win or did he lose? We don't even know. He doesn't even know. Did he want to get screwed up by Mace Windu throwing all his lightning back at him? Probably not. Why was he there by himself? I mean, all of this is so confused. Uh, but, but here, we have a clean wonderful plan that's more or less textbook honeypot versus the insurgents i'm gonna put something out that the insurgents are gonna want to hit i'm gonna have enough security so it doesn't look ridiculous but pretty shitty security so that they can get in and then i'm gonna tighten the net around them uh once they're committed to a fight uh that's gro grossly disadvantageous and then this has the additional plus that if they don't bite well i get another death star to go around blown planets with so this is a this is a, a this is a Palpatine can't lose this engagement um, by any realistic thing that the that could be brought to bear, except Deus Ex Ewok. It's not, it's not even the Ewoks. Well, I mean, not just, he probably still would have won if Luke, Luke hadn't had if Vader hadn't tossed him down the the, the energy well. I mean, yeah, yeah. He, he really thought it'd be the, it just as easy to turn Luke. To the oh, but that, that's actually gravy. Just, Let's assume it. that Luke didn't even come on this mission because, as he realized in the in, in the shuttlecraft, I probably shouldn't be on this mission. Uh, th everything else, like Luke, is gravy. He just wants to end this. He just wants How to end fly this. Casual, yeah, fly casual, Chewy. Uh, but he he just wants to end this war, and this is a great way of doing it. I will ace the fleet. I will kill Akbar. I will knock out their you know most Im impressive guerrilla squad, and then I'll still have a Death Star to roll around in after a crushing victory. That's all you know. Already print the propaganda posters. So he has no lose here, and frankly, they should still have won the fight. It is not Luke turning Vader and killing the, the, the Emperor, except in the weird, like, expanded you, expanded books that all of them are animated by the Emperor's Dark Will and the, they fall to shit, which apparently 30 years later they get. Yeah. I don't know. We're going to not even talk about that yet. But 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 the deal is here is like yeah. the only thing wrong with this is the shit for brains is opened the damn door and got beaten up by midget teddy bears. Like that is literally the thing. And frankly, I don't blame Palpatine for that because who would think anyone would be that stupid? Well, you have to remember everybody was captured. The only reason they're able to, to take over and blow up the shield generator is because Chewbacca gets admittedly with the help of the teddy bears gets into a fucking black walker and uses blaster cannons to shoot the shit out of everybody right right but, but i'm just saying even that they won the outdoor <laughs> okay uh yes uh so 
uh, I, I will say that the uh, technical difficult. Well, let me know when we're ready to go. Ready, go. All right. So resuming after technical difficulties and others, uh, I will say I need to throw a small disclaimer in here. As I spoke to you over text after our disruption, uh, I have a very mixed uh, opinion on this film because it was a film I saw at 12 years old, and it is the first film that I saw with not quite a child's eye. In other words, at the time, I thought the Ewok victory was, um, it, it broke suspension of disbelief. It was so implausible that it upset me in the theater. Uh, seeing the film. And apparently that sort of thing sticks with you. Uh, I still hold to the criticisms I was making. And I will say, like, what, what, you know, the only thing that went wrong is that morons opened the door because apparently the explosives they carried with them couldn't just blow open the door or they didn't have enough or like, what were they going to do when they got, like, if everything had gone right and it was just the little rebel strike force, Sans Ewoks gets to the door what were they going to do if the droid got shot? Because that was their only way of getting in. Like, I I still feel that, whereas in all the prior movies, the Imperial goals went from absolutely abysmal in the prequels to plausible but way cocky in the, in the, in the you know, in, in uh, A New Hope. And now this one might represent the the pinnacle of imperial like tactical and strategic thinking. They did a good job here. They set an appropriate honeypot. They had a good, reasonable, plausible trap. Um, if it wasn't for just a little bit of cleverness on the part of Lando Calrissian, they would have lost the strike force in face uh, in space uh, with a face hit boom to the shield. And then the shield going down strike force was absolutely absolutely anticipated and ridiculously over you know countered for but the door like no matter what let's say the emperor was oblivious and the the rebels were going to descend on a poorly defended shield generator what were they going to do about the door that's all i i i i don't know what to make of the storytelling here when it's so lacking compared to the previous entries i have an answer for you actually mm -hmm. um so the rebel, uh, you're right. This is a perfect setup as a honeypot. The Empire should have won here, but they didn't. And what is the main theme of this movie? The main theme of this movie is don't get cocky, kid. <laughs> because everything that goes wrong on both sides is because one person or another was overly confident, confident in something. Um Luke Skywalker is overly confident in his own abilities, which is why the Jabba the Hutt stuff goes kind of sideways. Um, Han Solo is overly confident, which is why he didn't have a backup plan if R2-D2 got shot. He wasn't planning on there being a fight. He was going to sneak up and they were going to go in the back door and sneaky, 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 sneak. And there wasn't going to be any Imperials around. But no, the little Ewoks had to tag along. So a fight started. Um, you see what I mean? The the arrogance okay. of even inviting the Ewoks to come with you. I mean, you probably couldn't have stopped them, but still, I mean, it didn't seem like he was upset that they were there. He was just like, yeah, okay, why not? Teddy bears, that's fine. Uh, every mistake in this movie is from someone being overconfident. The guy, in, the commander of the shield generator is like, oh, clearly we've completely wrecked everybody. Yeah, let's open the door and go get them. It's going to be awesome. Arrogance. 
The downfall of everyone in this film is arrogance. The only person who's not arrogant in this, in this movie at all is Admiral Akbar, which is why he's probably the breakout star of this film. Uh, okay. I mean, you know what? Well, you you got me. I think I see something there that I hadn't seen before. I think you have a good point. I still. I wish they hadn't made everybody so dim-witted in order to drive the story then. That's the only thing I would say. Because I will say, uh, yes, there was arrogance in A New Hope. Um, surely you overestimate their chances. But that was a very plausible arrogance. Um, they they didn't really understand the vulnerability themselves. And I, I could see that because it was also very short. Like, he had short notice of the problem and, you know, there was no real time to, re to rewind and rethink. In Empire, everybody on the Imperial side acts pretty plausibly. I mean, don't get me wrong. Han Solo's flying is just better than everybody else's, but it, that's not their fault, you know? Uh, and that's not something that I consider to be that broken. I mean, Han Solo's, uh, you know, a hero, so that's fine. Uh, but in this one, it really requires everyone to be dim-witted to advance the story, and the prequels go exactly down this road. So I consider this the movie where Star Wars started to be bad. It started not being as good. Um, I, I, I see your argument, but here's what I will say about this. Yeah, if we go back to New Hope, you know, there's some issues where it's the first time they've used the Death Star, so that's the it's the newness, it's the it's the mistake of hey, do we even know this thing's gonna work? Kind of thing. And as yeah, as we find out later in, I mean, that wasn't the original intention, but the main engineers who worked on it both got killed recently. So, oh, we think we lost Tom. What? Are you back now? Yeah, yeah. I'm keep keep getting. I, I know robot there, fan. It's no big yeah. deal. But the uh, the main uh, you know the main guys who were in charge of the, the design got killed beforehand. So then we get mm -hmm. this one. It's literally the emperor is not even throwing a hell mary. He's just certain this is going to work. He's going to get Vader. Vader's going to get killed by Luke. Luke's going to join the dark side. Great plan. Well, um, actually, it, that's another tales I win, heads you lose. Because so if it, what if Vader kills Luke? Okay, I've still got the most powerful Sith Lord in existence right here by my side. Yeah, he's a little old and creaky, but he beat the shit out of that kid, and there's more people. So it's fine, because we'll just go find the princess and turn her. Uh, you see what I mean? Exactly. There's... It's, he, the only thing he doesn't really anticipate are two things. Ewoks, and he doesn't anticipate Vader actually growing a heart at the last second. But he should have well, figured out that that was how he manipulated in the first way. Luke would be able to manipulate in the same way. It's kind of the the oh i should uh, i didn't and i missed one mistake well there is a degree of like all right the jedi are dead except for this one yoda did or obi-wan did i don't even know if if it's established if palpatine understood that yoda had lived a while longer or what so no, i think you know, they always refer to him as obi-wan's apprentice so i think they didn't even know yoda was in the mix and and that makes sense like they if they didn't know yoda was around they also probably didn't know about, yeah, and Vader had spent 15, 20 years going around hunting the Romanian and killing them off. So there's the argument that it, there's nobody left. Right. So I, I also do just sort of wonder, like, there's a degree to which Palpatine's plan is uh, seek revenge, kill Jedi, step, step two, uh, step three, profit. Like, what yeah, was Palpatine's goal of running the Empire now that he had it? 
but uh, there's really no there's no evidence in the story at all about that. And I don't mind that either very much to not be just the critical jerk of this podcast. Uh, I don't mind that because, you know, a bad guy whose ultimate motivation boils down to muhaha is just a thing in many, many movies that are especially youth oriented like these are. So I'm fine with that. Um, but but it is notably absent. Like what what is Palpatine's sort of you know, happily ever after look like, uh, we don't know. He's got a very pretty boy by his side that he gets to stroke his lovely, lovely hair. That's his, that's his, that's his end game is the most attractive apprentice in all of history. (laughs) He's, he's clearly wants Luke for his boy toy and it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) I love Palpatine in this. I love Palpatine and everything he's ever done. We need to talk about this last lightsaber fight though. Yeah. It's not much of a lightsaber fight. It's, it's kind it's, of a more of a talky-talky fight. It's a really intense fight, though. Like, for all that lightsabers are barely used, it is a super intense fight, and you feel it in your bones. Uh, you see Luke trying to, you know, he's like, ah, crap, I'm kind of in it, but I don't care. I'm just going to be all defiant, and it's fine, and I believe in my friends, and da-da-da. And every single time he does that, Palpatine undercuts him or Vader undercuts him, and it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> It's all mind messing with him. They are really mind messing with him. It's so good. I love. I love that whole it's, sequence. It's, yeah, I, I'm prepared to say that that scene works because it is a conflict on many levels. They're trying to undermine his commitment to the Jedi and turn him. They're also trying to, you know, contain the physical element so that he can't just stab somebody. Uh, you know, and it, that's not trivial. Uh, Vader does not toy with him anywhere near as much as he did in the previous film. So it's clear that Luke is a threat and they are fighting with him on many levels, but it is also quite clear that they almost entirely have the upper hand until Luke gets angry, which is still a victory condition for Palpatine. The only thing he didn't foresee is Vader turning on him. And that is very well played and fairly put. I agree. It's, uh, it is not the most proficient lightsaber fight. It is not the most beautiful lightsaber fight, but I think it is no. probably probably my favorite lightsaber fight just for the emotional impact and the catharsis and everything. Um, there is, I still have to go with the fight in empire because of underdog Luke getting his licks in. Uh, I will cheer every time that happens. Every time he gets, you know, well, but that hit is the one that I, you know, the one that he shouldn't have gotten is the one that I like the most, but fair enough. This is very close there. They're both excellent. Certainly, uh, they, they raised the bar in the original trilogy. And if it's not in, you know, one, two, uh, first and second place, either way, uh, they could be considered both excellent, I feel. Uh, agreed. I think the best I, I argue is when Mark Hamill basically looks at his hand and he's shaking, he realizes, uh, it's the prophecy that the cave is hidden finally. Mm-hmm. And I love the actual physical motions he's making, the handshake, even though it's a robotic hand, he shouldn't be shaking. It's his, his, it's his look in his face. He's thought about, he's, you know, he's thought a lot about this fear and all of a sudden it's accurate. I can become Vader right now. I have become Vader right now. It's that nice little like line that he has just suddenly crossed and he can't believe he did it. It's also a good callback to Empire, the cave. Remember yeah. your failure at the cave. It is so – it's such a nice scene. In fact, that's – it's a shame that the whole Ewok sequence sort of detracts from this film because 
the open now and I, I after doing some reflection i do have to say that one of the reasons i like the opening sequence so much is because this is one of the first movies i ever saw in a theater uh it was a, it was a replay i didn't see it when it was released i was too young but they re- I, I was allowed to see it which is probably the bad idea <laughs> they take me out the rancor scared the hell out yeah of i can imagine before. they re-released it and um I, I, and my parents took me to see it, or maybe it was a drive-through, or maybe you know I don't know. I was seven. My mom and dad said we're going to the movies. We're gonna go watch Return of the Jedi, and I was like, yay! Because I had never, I, you know, I I hadn't seen it yet. And uh, so for all I know, maybe it was like a church showing it or something. I I honestly don't remember, but I was just so blown away by everything on the screen. And I was I was definitely not at the cynical level that I am at now. <laughs> I was a a, a bright, doe-eyed young lad. <laughs> reaching out into the world for the first time so some of my love for this movie does comes from you know rose-colored nostalgia glasses and i will admit that but this is still my fourth favorite star wars film (laughs) and it's that's an important factor yeah when you saw it is important for your love of this film uh one other thing i do want to bring up was something we kind of been dancing around a little bit which is this may this apparently has come out was two scripts merged into one. The first was going to be all of Jabba was going to be one movie where uh, Belba Fett was going to be the main villain, and then this was going to be the the next movie was mostly uh, in the Battle of Endor. So by merging those two together, you know we get the, you know that's how Boba Fett winds up getting you know, you know moshed real fast, you know the where bit, but we also get the um, you know how quickly they rush into this next mission to take out the other Death Star. I do think that is one of the problems is, is they had when you combine two plot lines like that that are so different in tone, it does create a conflict. And I think that's something we should kind of think about is, you know, they forced these two stories together because Lucas said he didn't want to do a fourth movie. Now, what, what was that? Is that he was just thinking trilogy is a nice round number? Or I think um... he was getting burnout. I think that was a lot of it. He also realized you know, Harrison Ford is going to be more expensive to do for a fourth movie. Uh, and he's having he's been fighting with the director's guild for a while over uh, the issues. He's having you know he's lost Gary Kurtz. Gary Kurtz has left uh, I, uh, Lucasfilm, so he's kind of taking this on his own. And meanwhile, he's looking at I want to do different stuff. I'm tired of being behind just Star Wars stuff. So I think that you know a lot of it may have been some burnout on him too, because he I think he initially planned five movies he wanted to make with this uh, story arc, and you know it kind of started whittling it down. So I, it makes it you know you always said there were going to be nine nine movies. But he planned the, the main Luke Vader arc to be five or four, depending on who you talk to, and that's only come out in the last few years. So I think that's something that should be addressed, which is the idea that this was you know they squeezed some plot lines together, which I think benefited great for the Jabba stuff. Sacrifice a lot for the second half of the movie, but you know I think we can all agree it's still much more enjoyable than compared to some of the later the prequels. And to you know, we'll as we get into the Disney sequels, we'll discuss further as well. You know where where you know where you rank Return of the Jedi is kind of all over the place, but it's definitely going to usually be in your top half versus your bottom half. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I think we're ready for wrap up. I think we said a lot of what can be said. I mean, there's we could go round and round forever, but uh, it probably is time to start well, wrapping I was, it up. As as the smartest decision they made at the last minute was not to kill Lando. Yes, absolutely. 100%. All right. Yub, yub. Everybody, thanks for listening to the Good, the Bad, Nerdy Movie Podcast. Please check us out on Twitter and on Facebook. If you are enjoying this, you know, we're getting now in 
into the Disney years full on. So our next day will be, of course, The Force Awakens. Guys, thanks for I, joining us. See I have one. Time. I have oh, one yeah. final thought that I just need to say, George. This movie crushed my innocence with Deus Ex Ewok, and ever since I have trod the path of ashes and cynicism, it's all your fault, George. <laughs> That would be Bruce Hunter. <laughs> That's Bruce Hunter in a nutshell. Uh, oh, real quick, the last fun fact. Uh, Nian Num, who's my favorite uh, breakout star of this film, honestly, uh, he speaks fluent Kikuyu, which is a dialect of Kenya's majority tribe. Uh, and what he says in uh, his big line is, what are you doing over there? All of you, please come here. All right, fun fact. <laughs> Excellent. See you all next yep. time. All right, give me a second. I'll hit you guys up again. Yep, yep. yep. Okay. You got it.